0: We appreciate being appreciated, as it were. And a lot of times you say things like, I'd rather be here. And I have heard horror stories of guys at other churches that things have been bad. Their first church was not good. Our experience has not been that. But I thought about that. And while that's true, I'm glad we were here. But I know guys that have good experiences. I'm still glad we were here. There is no other church I would rather pastor and I would rather be a part of than this church. Right? We... We are we are here in part because God wanted us here. God called us here initially. God has never changed that. As far as what we understand and what we have, what we believe, and what we're seeking from God, uh, this is where God wants us. But not only is this where God wants us, we're not here against our will. We're not here like Jonah, right? We're not here covered in fish guts because we were swallowed because we didn't want to come here. We we wanted to come here, and we've never wanted to leave, right? We have had other opportunities. To go other places. Uh, bigger churches and bigger towns. And we've never even seriously considered them. Right? This is where God wants us. This is where we want to be. You are our church family. Not just the people we go to church with. But you are our family so far as we are concerned. We, we love y'all. We are thankful for the privilege we've had of getting to be a part of this church. I am thankful for my daughters being raised in this church. I, I know many pastors... Whose daughters were raised in church and they have a bad taste in the church because of the way the church treated them or the way they saw the church treat their parents. Our kids do not have that stumbling block in their life. They were never treated as anything other than kids whose dad just happened to be the pastor. They weren't preachers kids who were held to a standard up here where everybody else was held to this standard. They were just kids. Their dad just so happened to be the pastor. Y'all loved them. We were far away from family. Y'all adopted them. And we, we appreciate that. We love our church family. Now, in Mark 8, where we're at today. Now, one of the things that I fear in our day is that we have tamed Jesus. We have taken the demands and commands of Jesus. And we have taken the teeth out of them, so they seldom challenge us. The tamed Jesus... Demands and commands very little from us. Listen to what one pastor from Washington, D.C. has said about taming Jesus. After talking about just kind of the plain reading of the commands and demands of Jesus, he says this. But we don't want to believe it. We're afraid of what it might mean for our lives. So we rationalize these passages away. And this is where we need to pause. Because we're starting to redefine Christianity we're giving in to the dangerous temptation to take the Jesus of the Bible and twist Him into a version we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call on us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who would not expect us to, to forsake our closest relationships so that He receives all our affection. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion That does not infringe upon our comforts. Because after all, he loves us just the way we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced. Who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes. And who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. But do you realize what we're doing in all this? We are molding Jesus into our image. He is beginning to look a lot like us because, after all, that's who we're most comfortable with. And the danger now is that when we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands in worship, we may not actually be worshipping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we may be worshipping ourselves. This taming of, the, of Jesus and turning him into a nice middle class American Jesus has made following him Little more than praying a prayer, avoiding big sins in public, occasionally attending church, and giving a bit of money every now and then. And yet, this is far from what Jesus actually said about what it means to follow Him. Today we're going to look at a passage where Jesus explains what it means for us to follow Him. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 8, page 769. You stand when you find that to honor the reading of God's word. Now, the passages we're going to look at today are really verses thirty one through thirty four. But I'm going to start in verse twenty seven because it's all really one context. Verse twenty seven through thirty eight is the whole part of the story. But we're just going to look at a part of it today. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? They told him, saying John the Baptist, and others saying Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he continued questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. And he soon began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise from the dead. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. And he summoned the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what could a person give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. title of the message this morning is Following Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for your love and your kindness. Lord, we rejoice in the opportunity we have today to gather in this church Father, to worship you and song, to, to study your word. Father, we know the freedom we have in doing this is denied many of our brothers and sisters around the world. We know, Father, in many places our brothers and sisters are, are hiding. We know they're persecuted. We know they fear for their lives every time they gather. And we know that they go ahead and they gather anyway despite the risk. We thank you, Lord, for the, the ease that we have, the freedom that we have. We ask you to forgive us for taking this opportunity lightly. We ask you to forgive us for not being constantly amazed that we have your word in our hands, and our language, that we can read at any time, knowing that there are thousands of people groups around the world that do not have your word in their language. We thank you, Lord, that the gospel spread. From Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other most parts of the world and reached Gaiman and brought the gospel to us that we might be saved. We thank you Lord for so much. Lord we are we are blessed beyond measure in our lives. Father today as we Have gathered here, we want to hear from you, Lord, we want your word to speak to our lives, we want your spirit to take it and make it living and active. Father, we're not here to check a box today, we are here to meet with the living God, we're not here, Father, to go through the motions, we are here to be challenged and changed to be more of who you want us to be. So we surrender our lives to you right now. We surrender our lives to your spirit to search us and test us to see if there's anything in our lives that's not pleasing to you. We submit our lives to you, Father, that the words of Jesus could convict us if we need convicting, that they could strengthen us if we need strengthening, they could encourage us if we need encouraging, they could change us if we need changing. Father, we want your will to be done in our lives, whatever that may be. We are fully surrendered to you. Have your way in our lives. Fill me with your spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Of course, as you can see, the passage comes immediately after Peter's great confession about Jesus being the Christ. Now, this context is important because it does make the words of Jesus that we're looking at more surprising. So imagine the scene. Jesus gets with his disciples. He says, who do the crowd say I am? And they're given all these things. He said, But who do you say that I am? Peter knocks it out of the park. You are the Christ. Now, if you remember from last week, by calling him the Christ, he was saying you're the long awaited Messiah. You are the one our nation and the world has waited for since the beginning of time. Now, in the Jewish mind, the coming of the Messiah would come in a certain way. The Messiah would come as a conqueror. Right. He would come. He would cast the Romans out of Jerusalem and out of Israel altogether. He would set up an earthly empire with him as on the throne. The Jews as the the kind of the leading elders of the whole world. And the world would be ruled from Jerusalem in the name of the Messiah. And so Jesus has, they have received this information from the Father. We know in Matthew 16 that Jesus is the Christ. And so in their mind, what they're expecting is And probably him to start saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're throwing off the Roman oppressors. Here's the next plan in establishing the kingdom of God on earth. And rather than that, what Jesus says is, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise from the dead. Now, the exact wording is significant. Jesus said the Son of Man, him... Must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elves. He must be killed by the chief rejected by the chief priests, and he must be killed. He must go and he must die. The cross was an imperative for Jesus. The cross was a necessity. The cross was a necessity because there were two strains of prophecy regarding the Messiah. There was the strain of prophecy that talked about the Messiah as a conquering king. But there was also the strain that talked about the Messiah coming as a suffering servant. And they didn't understand that this was both the same guy. And what it talked about was the way he would come a first time and the way he would come a second time. Old Testament prophecies had talked about the Messiah coming as a suffering servant. That he would die on the cross, or he would die in a bad way and he would die for the sins of the people. Now, we don't have time today to look at this, but take some time this week and read Isaiah 52 through Isaiah 53, Isaiah 52, 12 through Isaiah 53 and 12 to see one of the main prophecies about what Jesus would suffer In our place. Then after you've read. Isaiah 52 and 53. Read Mark chapter 15. Which is where we'll get in several months. To see how Jesus fulfilled. The prophecy. About dying in our place. Now when we get to this. This idea of Jesus. That he must suffer. He must die. And he must rise from the dead. And we know that he did die. In our place. Well that reality demands a response. From us. I mean if. The long awaited Messiah, if the son of God did come to earth and if he did die on the cross and it wasn't as a martyr for the cause and it wasn't because he made wrong people angry, it was for your sins and mine. Well, we must respond to something along those lines. And there are essentially two ways we can respond that we see in this passage. One is like Peter in verse 32, which we'll talk about in a little bit later. Or we can respond like Jesus says in verse 34. So I want us to focus first on what Jesus says, how we're supposed to respond. He summoned the crowd together with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone. Now, the anyone is significant. So this isn't just for the twelve. This isn't just for first century Judaism. This isn't that what Jesus is about to say is, is binding upon us in our day. If anyone wants to come after me, right? So if anyone wants to follow Jesus, and this is the first response, we must determine to follow Jesus. If Jesus is the Christ, and if He died for our sins, and if we want to respond in the right way, then we must determine to follow Jesus. This desire to follow Jesus that he expresses here is not the kind of the desire of a golly gee, it would be nice to follow Jesus kind of a mindset. It is a a determination. It is saying I'm going to follow Jesus. It is a resolved mindset that says nothing is going to stop me from following Jesus. It's the same kind of mindset we see in the old hymn. I have decided to follow Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. That's the the desire. That's the resolve. That's the determination to follow Jesus he's talking about in this passage. This is the kind of determination that that flows from understanding who He is and what He's done. I mean, if He is the Son of God, if He is the one who died on the cross for our sins, how could we do anything but determine we're going to follow Him and do what He wants us to do? That is the only logical response to who He is and what He has done in our place. But it is a willful choice we make. It is a choice... We individually make it is your choice and it is my choice. But if we determine I am going to follow Jesus, I'm going to go after him. Then there are other choices that have to be made as well. Once I determine I'm going to follow Jesus. Notice what he says. He must deny himself. Now, again, the wording is important. Anyone. So this is not just for the twelve. This is not just for the crowd. This was not just for the first century. This is for us. If anyone wants to follow Jesus, he must. Not he should. Not he might think about. Not it would be a good idea. He must deny himself. In order to follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves. Now, if we were just like really brutally honest, we would all admit self denial is not something we're particularly good at. We are. And indulgent people. And we live in an indulgent culture. I mean our culture continually tells us to indulge ourselves. Do what you want. Live by your truth. You deserve it. Have it your way. All of these things are constantly saying you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Our natural tendency is towards self-indulgence. But as disciples of Jesus, we are not to live in self-indulgent ease. Instead, as disciples of Jesus, through self-denial, we are meant to follow Jesus. Now, self-denial is an important thing to really understand. The essence of self-denial is saying no to ourselves so we can say yes to Jesus. And this is huge, right? Self-denial... Isn't about living a monastic lifestyle. Self-denial. Isn't about self-denial. For the sake of self-denial. Self-denial. Isn't about self-denial. For the sake of self-flagellation. Self-denial. It isn't about giving ourselves the appearance. Of holiness and devotion. The purpose of self-denial. Of denying self. Is to say no to us. So that we can say yes. Yes. To Jesus. That's the point. right? So it is saying no to what I want to do and yes to what Jesus wants to do if what we both want to do contradicts one another. The reality is there will always be times where what we want to do and what Jesus wants us to do don't line up. And in that moment, what we're supposed to do say no to ourselves, say yes to Jesus. Now there's any number of ways this could be seen. It could be about sin. Right. We want to gossip. But Jesus doesn't want us to. So we say no to ourselves and we say yes to Jesus and we refuse to gossip. We want to be judgmental, but Jesus doesn't want us to. And so we say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus and we withhold judgment. We may want to have sex outside the bonds of marriage, but Jesus doesn't want us to. So we say no to ourselves and we say yes to Jesus and we flee sexual temptation. It could be about serving Jesus in some way. Jesus wants us to share the gospel with someone, but we don't want to. So we say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus and share the gospel. Jesus wants us to find and use our spiritual gifts for his glory, but we'd rather not. So we say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus and we find and use our spiritual gifts for his glory. Jesus wants us to forgive someone who's wronged us. But that unforgiveness, that grudge keeps us warm at night. And so we say yes to we say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus and we forgive the wrong for his sake. Jesus wants us to be devoted about reading our Bible and praying, disciplined. But we would rather sleep in and watch TV. So we say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus. And we get up and pray and we turn the TVs off to study the Bible. There's no limit to the different ways self-denial could work its way out, but make no mistake, there will be times when our wills, our wants, our desires, our ambitions, our preferences and our comforts will conflict with what Jesus wants us to do and the ways Jesus is leading us. And when those times come, we must say no to ourselves so that we can say yes to Jesus. There is no way to follow Jesus without self-denial. It is a non-negotiable aspect of following Him. And it is the overflow of who He is. If He is the Son of God and who who died for me, how could I say no to Him? And keep in mind, Jesus, on the night before He was crucified at Gethsemane, what did He say? He said no to His flesh. So that he could say yes for our sakes. Isn't that what happened? Lord if it's possible let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will. But what you will. Jesus modeled self-denial for our sakes. How could the one who was self-denied for our sakes. How could we not say yes to him in anything. If we say no to Jesus and yes to ourselves. Honestly. Honestly. It reveals we do not understand who he is and what he's done. Our understanding of who he is and what he's done is deficient in many ways. If we think saying no to Jesus and yes to ourselves is an acceptable practice and acceptable way to live. So if anyone wants to come after Jesus, we we must deny ourselves. But then there's another part and it's still part of the must take up his cross. Denying ourselves leads to taking up our cross. Now, many in our day have kind of an adulterated view of what it means to take up our cross. To take up our cross doesn't mean to bear some sort of hardship like poor health, unemployment, a sick loved one, a wayward child or even turkey bacon. Right. It has nothing to do with that. Now, this is often what people mean when they say, well, that's my my cross to bear. They're talking about a burden that they have. But that's not what Jesus means here. Jesus's original hearers would never have understood that idea associated with taking up the cross. They understood the cross as an instrument of death. They had seen criminals take up their cross, walk up the hill, be nailed or tied to the cross and hung up until they suffocated and died. When Jesus said those who follow him must take up their crosses, they understood he was saying, prepare to die. They understood he was saying, die to yourself so that you can live for me. Denying ourselves and taking up our cross are two sides of the same coin. Different ways of saying the same thing. We take up our cross so that we can do whatever Jesus would have us to do. Taking up our cross is far more than the common idea that being a good Christian means praying a prayer. Avoiding big sins in public, attending church occasionally, and giving a bit of money every now and then. To take up our cross, it means total surrender to Jesus. The kind of surrender described in this verse is an unconditional surrender of all we are and all we have to Jesus. We are called upon to surrender everything and hold nothing back for ourselves. This means we can't say things like I would do anything for Jesus, but if there is a but in the sentence, we are not fully surrendered to Jesus. If we are putting limits on what we will do or what we won't do. We have not denied ourselves and we have not taken up our cross to follow Jesus. It is a total surrender, but it also means a continual surrender. Luke's account, Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily. I would, man, I've would, i said this a lot. I wish we could pray one prayer of consecration. And from that moment on, we are fully surrendered to Jesus. The flesh is dead. The desire to do otherwise is gone. And we are going to be fully on board with doing everything Jesus wants us to do. And there will never be a struggle. But that's just not the world we live in. Galatians tells us the flesh lusts against the spirit. Spirit of God is always leading us to do what Jesus would have us to do. And our sinful nature is always saying, no, don't do that. That's uncomfortable. That's scary. That's hard. Do what you want to do instead. Jesus wouldn't care. And so we have to continually surrender to Jesus. We had to surrender to Jesus to get up and come to church this morning. But even with that, that's not the end of it for today. So you go home. There's going to be things that come up. Your sinful nature, my sinful nature is going to pull us to do things Jesus doesn't want us to do. And in that moment, we're going to have to choose what's most important, who we're surrendered to. Are we surrendered to the flesh or are we surrendered to Jesus? It is a continual surrendering to Jesus in order to do His will. It's not even on a day by day. It is on a moment by moment basis. It means a... Willing surrender to Jesus. right? So it's a total surrender. It's a continual surrender. And it is a willing surrender to Jesus. Jesus is not going to tackle us. And force us to take up our cross. And follow him. When you see in Jonah. He can. But he doesn't do that often. Typically. He calls us to do something. And then he leaves it with us to make the choice. See, what Jesus wants is for us to understand who he is and what he has done for us and to love him so much in response to what he has done for us that we willingly surrender our lives to him, that we say because of who you are and what you've done, you're worthy. Of my total surrender, you're worthy of my will, my continual surrender. You're worthy of me saying no to me and yes to you, and so I will do just that. But he does always give us the choice. Think about when he called the twelve disciples. He would say, "Come and follow me," and then he waited for them to make the choice. Now the disciples, we know, they willingly. Left everything so they could follow Him. They willingly surrendered their lives, their ambitions, left their jobs to do the will of Jesus. It always has to be a willing surrender. But we also know Jesus will let people choose no. Think about the story of the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus, he wants us to know how to be saved, how to have eternal life. Jesus says, keep the law. He's like, I've done that all my life, Lord. Jesus says, one thing you like. Sell everything you have. Give that money to the poor. Come follow me and have treasure in heaven. He called on the rich young ruler to fully surrender his life to Jesus. He called on the rich young ruler to willingly surrender everything to Jesus. And the young man had great wealth and he was sad at that statement and he refused to deny himself, take up his cross. And follow Jesus. And he left sad. Now there's a couple of things about this story. That are always significant to understand. One is. Jesus loved him. It tells us in Mark 10.21. That Jesus looked at him. And loved him. so Jesus is calling on this young man. To sell what he had. Give it to the poor. And come follow him. It wasn't Jesus like I don't like this kid. I'm going to set the bar so high. He won't follow it. Jesus loved him, but he knew there was something lacking and he loved him too much to leave him the way he was. And so he called on him to make this sacrifice and to let Jesus give him something of real wealth. Second, Jesus didn't change his mind about the level of devotion he expected. When that guy turned and walked away, Jesus let him turn and walk away. And then he turned to his disciples and said, sure is hard for a rich person to enter into heaven. He changed nothing about his demands and what he expected from the level of devotion. He laid out to this young man what it meant to follow him. And then he let him make his choice even though it led him away from Jesus. Jesus is not going to force us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses and follow him. But neither is he going to change what he expects from us. He is not going to lower the standard from deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We're not going to work out a special deal with us and Jesus. We're not going to get a deal that nobody else had. Jesus knows who he is. He's not negotiating. He knows he is the Christ, the Son of God, who died for the sins of the world and rose again on the third day. He knows that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He knows that. and He will not lower what he deserves. He will not lower what he demands, not for you, not for me, not for anyone. And so we can be like the disciples and willingly Surrender our lives to Jesus so that we can follow him. Or we can be like the rich young ruler and refuse to surrender our lives to Jesus and so rejecting. But make no mistake. We are doing one or the other. We always do one or the other. We either surrender to Jesus or we reject Jesus. Those are the only options there are. And what we want to say is, no, 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 I'm not rejecting Jesus. Jesus. By deny, not denying myself and not taking up my cross. We'll say something like, well, no, I love Jesus and I believe in Jesus. But I don't feel the need. I don't feel like I've been called to deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. Jesus anticipated this response. Look at verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, wants, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's. We'll save it. Now we'll look at this more in depth next week. But today I just kind of want to notice the flow of thought. Jesus lays out the demand. If you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And if you say yes to me, there are consequences. And if you say no to me, there are consequences. Those who save their lives, he says, lose them. And those who lose their lives for his sake and the Gospels, save it. You wonder, what does that mean? Because that seems so contradictory. To save our lives is to say yes to ourselves and no to Jesus. So we don't deny ourselves. We don't take up our crosses. And we don't follow Jesus. The result, according to Jesus, in verse 37, is that we... Or verse 36, we forfeit our souls in the process. So if I save my life for myself, I forfeit my soul. Or I can lose my life for Jesus' sake and for the gospels. And in the process, I can save our souls. So a lot hangs in the balance. On whether or not we say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves or whether we say yes to ourselves and no to Jesus. Denying self, taking up our cross and following Jesus is not an optional add-on for what it means to be a Christian. It's not like we get saved And then at some point we determine, "Ah, I guess I'll go ahead and deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross to follow Jesus is a beginning, a beginner's level meaning, understanding of what it means in order to be saved, to follow Jesus at all. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus is as much a part of what it means to be saved as believing in Jesus. In fact, I don't have time this morning, but I believe God's Word teaches that if I don't deny myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus, I really don't believe in Jesus at all. I've made up a Jesus in my own mind, faith in Jesus, genuine faith in Jesus. Leads us, always leads us to recognize what's been done for us as being supremely great. And so we see that denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus is the only rational response. I mean, think about even what James says. Faith without works is dead. He doesn't say faith without works is bad, does he? Dead. Now, in the New Testament, death and life mean something, right? Right. Spiritually dead, spiritually alive. Spiritually dead is lost. Spiritually alive is saved. Faith without works is spiritually dead. A person who claims to believe in Jesus, but has no works, no denying of themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus, they don't have faith. They're still spiritually dead. They're dead in their sins. We must understand, this is not extra. This is not next level. This is entry point. Coming to Jesus to be saved by Jesus. It's a part of I believe in who He is and what He has done. I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow Him. So this brings us back to Peter and his response in verse 32. Jesus was stating the matter plainly. Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. If you'll allow me. The liberty. I'll paraphrase this point of the conversation. Jesus says it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem. Where I'll be rejected, beaten. And die horribly on the cross. To which Peter replies. No way. God loves you. And he wants you to experience your best life now. Jesus responds to Peter. Look at this. This is important. Turning around. Seeing his disciples. He rebuked Peter. And he said. Get. Behind me, Satan. For you're not setting your mind on God's purposes, but on man's. Jesus responded to Peter's rebuke by calling him Satan. This this interaction between Peter and Jesus is underrated for its importance. Let me give you two applications for what Jesus and Peter's interaction means for us. First is, we don't get to counsel Jesus. Jesus. On what he does or what he demands. But Peter's rebuke is basically, we know from the other gospel accounts, is saying, not so, Lord, this would never happen to you. Now, in his defense. Peter, like most Jews of the day, could not fathom the reality of a suffering Messiah. But still. He has just confessed Jesus is the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. And then what he does, what he ultimately does is seek to keep Jesus from the cross. By telling him what he can do or what he can't do, he is saying, no, no, Jesus, you you can't go to the cross. The cross of Jesus is central to everything. The gospel message declares a savior who died on the cross. The gospel demands those who believe the gospel take up their crosses and follow Jesus. And all of this comes from Jesus and we don't get a say in it. We don't get to say what Jesus does and we don't get a say in what Jesus demands. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Christ. He has the absolute and final say. We can say yes, Lord, or no, Lord, but that's the only options we have. We do not get to counsel Jesus on what he does or what he demands of us. God's word teaches the cross is foolish to some and offensive to others. We cannot take the cross out of our gospel proclamation because some will find the idea of a dying savior to be foolish. And we cannot remove the gospel or the cross from our gospel proclamation because some will find a savior who died for their sin to be offensive. The cross is central But at the same time, we cannot remove the cross from what it means to follow Jesus. We cannot remove denying self and taking up the cross of what it means to be a follower, a believer, a disciple of Christ. Because some may find that foolish and some may find that offensive. We can embrace it or we can reject it. But we do not have the authority to alter it. Second Altering what Jesus does or demands is satanic. Now that sounds extreme, but notice what Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. Peter is trying to talk Jesus out of fulfilling the Father's plan, which is exactly what Satan was trying to do in Matthew chapter 4. Satan essentially means adversary. By calling Peter Satan, Jesus showed Peter was opposing the purposes and the plans of God. The reason Jesus uses the cross as an illustration of what it means to follow him is to drive home to Peter how wrong he is and that he cannot escape the cross. Trying to remove the cross from our gospel proclamation is satanic in origin. I mean, think about it. Who would want us to remove the God, the cross from our gospel proclamation? Would it be the father who planned the cross Would it be Jesus who went to the cross? Would it be the spirit who testifies of the cross? Or would it be the world that hates the cross? Would it be the flesh that is offended by the cross? Or would it be Satan who opposed the cross? Removing the cross from discipleship is also satanic in origin. For again... Who would want to remove the cross from the demand of the gospel of what it means to follow Jesus? Would it be the Father who has always called on His people to have no other gods before Him, to give Him the supreme, let Him be the supreme object of worship and devotion in their lives? Would it be Jesus who said we must deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him? Would it be the Spirit who empowers us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus? Or would it be the world that Draws us to lukewarm Christianity. Or would it be the flesh. That is naturally selfish and self-centered. Or would it be Satan. Who seeks to steal kill. And destroy. As we've seen. From Jesus. Following Jesus is more than praying a prayer. Avoiding big sins in public. Occasionally attending church. And giving a bit of money every now and then. We must deny ourselves. Take up our crosses to follow Jesus. That's the key takeaway today. We must deny ourselves, take up our crosses to follow Jesus. Following Jesus requires us to surrender as Jesus sets the destination for our lives and charts the course on how to get there. Jesus sets the destination and the course in such a way we do not even get a say in what he does or what he demands as we follow the course he lays out. So the question before all of us is, who is the Lord or who is the leader of our life who sets the destination for our life and charts the course for us to get there here's a hard truth but it's still a truth jesus is not lord if he is not the leader charting the course of our life it is unlikely our final destination is what we expect it to be it is only as we deny ourselves take up our cross and follow jesus That we find salvation for our souls. I am leader. If I chart the course. I'm saving my life for myself. And I am forfeiting my soul. In the process. Who is Lord over your life? Who leads in your life? If it is not Jesus. Then today is the day to make a change. Today is the day to seek him. And surrender to him. Listen, there will always be areas of our life where we struggle to say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus. Our sinful nature ensures this will always be the case. But despite the fact we struggle, we must consistently say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus if we're to follow Jesus. Think about today where you struggle to say no to yourself and yes to Jesus. Does the struggle to say no to yourself and yes to Jesus bother you man. understand if it doesn't that's also a sign things are not right in your heart if we are truly born again and we are truly disciples of Jesus we want to say no to ourselves and we want to say yes to him and where that desire is lacking salvation is almost certainly lacking as well now the first way any of us are to say yes to Jesus is to call on him to save us And if you have never made the personal decision to call on Jesus to save you, then that's where everything has to start. You must make the choice. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance begins with recognizing you're wrong. God's right. In the context of what we're talking about today, recognizing we're wrong about the necessity of denying ourselves, taking up our cross to follow Jesus. For many The idea is this is extra. This is next level. I can be a Christian and be saved, but not be a disciple who denies myself and take up my cross and follow Jesus. But that's that's not what it says. So repentance begins with recognizing I've been wrong about that. I cannot chart my own course and still expect my final destination to be heaven. I'm wrong. Jesus is right. And this repentance leads us to turn. Turn from charting our own course. Turn from leading our own way. Turn to surrender to Jesus, believing He is the Christ who died on the cross for my sins, rose again on the third day, and my salvation rests solely in who He is and what He has done. This is where everything has to begin. And, and again, to me, not just, not to me, to the God's Word. If I understand who Jesus is and I understand what Jesus has done. The logical response. is To deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. Let me share one verse and we'll close. The Apostle Paul, after spending 11 chapters talking about the gospel. Says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So he's laid out all these things God has done through Christ, and he says, here's the only rational response. Be a living sacrifice, which is Paul's way of saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. We must, this is the natural outfall, this is the only rational response. If we do not see the need to deny ourselves, we don't see the need to take up our crosses. We don't see the need to follow Jesus. We do not understand who he is. We do not understand what he has done. Let's stand. I just want to have a moment to respond. Heads bowed and with your eyes closed. The altars are open. If you want to come forward. And pray where you are. The important thing is at this point, you're dealing with Jesus as he's dealing with you. If you know there's an area of your life where you struggle to say no to yourself and yes to Jesus, you pray about that right now. If you have never said yes to Jesus regarding salvation, then you call upon him to save you right now. I'll pray the altars will be open. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word that guides us. What we've looked at today is not intuitive. Father, it's not something that we would just sit and think, I bet that's how we ought to live. It's contrary to our culture. It's contrary to our sinful nature. And yet it is exactly what Jesus has called us to do, what you have expected us to do. So today I I pray that you'd work in all of our hearts and lives. Search us and see if there's areas of our lives where we are saying no to Jesus and yes to ourselves. Convict us about those things and help us to lay those things aside. Give us greater strength to say yes to Jesus and no to ourselves. And if there's some here today that have never really surrendered their lives to you. Mm -hmm. Father, today I pray that this would be the day of salvation. That this would be the day they realize you're right and they're wrong. And they would believe upon Jesus to save them. They deny themselves, take up the cross and begin to follow Christ wherever it leads. Have your way in all of our hearts and lives we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.